You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. I was thinking this morning as Derek was playing the drums, the drummer boy, because uh, Jeff, our regular drummer, had surgery and he can't uh, swing a stick, I guess, for a couple of weeks or something. That's right. You know, if Derek and I were the virus, I would be the alpha variant, which is almost extinct, and he would be the delta variant. It's much more contagious. Very contagious. Very contagious. And deadly, as a matter of fact. That's right. I don't know about that, but Woo. anyway, that was, uh, are you, you need to catch your breath here? No, I'm good, man. Okay. Conditioned. <laughs> The advantage well. of being 36 instead of 67, isn't it? Mm. Let me mention something very clearly, okay, so you understand. I don't know how much Chris talked about it during the welcome, but next Sunday we are having a panel discussion. I'm going to lead a panel discussion with six women from our church who are survivors of sexual abuse, have been through years of the healing process, and also helping other women who are survivors of sexual abuse. We're going to do next Sunday the day that City on the Hill told the truth about the sexual abuse of women. Remember 20, 25 years ago, we did this for pornography, We didn't we? Remember back then we were called, what were we called? I don't remember. Celebration, we've changed the name so often we can't keep up with it. But the day that Celebration told the truth about pornography, and we had men on the stage who had had uh, pornography issues in their life, were in the process of recovery and with their wives and were telling their stories. Because you know, we don't push things under the rug here. This is a, this is a, a, a plague in our culture. And they tell us that one out of three women, a minimum of one out of three women sitting in any given church service on any Sunday morning or any group anywhere, a minimum of one out of three of them have experienced some form of overt sexual violation that was against their will. So I developed the Ferris series for women, the five video series to help churches have a tool to get the conversation started with women. We're having churches all over the country now that are picking up on this thing. Uh, a church in Massachusetts just finished, church in Ohio, Nevada, uh, Idaho. Uh, churches around the country are planning, are doing this in the fall. And what we're doing with the Fearless Series, this will be the, like the fourth time that we've done it here because I field tested it here in our church before we released it nationally. What we're doing is we're doing a citywide emphasis that will start on September the 15th. Groups, Fearless Series for Women groups, right here on that Wednesday night, and we're doing media outreach, we're doing social media outreach, and we're inviting women from all over our city to come here into a safe place and have an opportunity to begin to talk about this experience if they've had this in their life, and if they've not, to become more educated about it so they can understand. We're also going to be leading our men. A lot of our men are going through the Fearless Series this fall so that men can understand the devastating impact of sexual abuse it can have in a woman's life. James called me Monday uh, a week ago and said, uh, hey, you know, what if we did this? What if we did kind of what we did 25 years ago only on this topic? And I, I told him, you know... It, 25 years ago, we didn't, uh, didn't tell the church we were doing about pornography. You just did it. Because we, we were afraid nobody would show <laughs> no up. Would we show had up. the largest attendance yeah. on that Sunday oh, that we'd ever awesome. had in the history of the church. Yeah. God said, oh, brother, you need to yeah, go today. I'm going to bring them. I'm bringing I'm them bringing in. Them. Just, you just do it. But it's important for, for you to, to hear that, that, that uh, you know, this Fearless Series was a project that James began 
two or three years ago. Three years now. ago. And, <clears> and it's three years um, of my life. Obviously, near and dear to his heart, something that he's very passionate about. But it's something that we as a church are very passionate about. And, uh, and so while James has, you know, architected this thing, obviously with the help of many and, and ultimately the Spirit of God, uh, we as a church want to come alongside him and, and support him in this endeavor and reach this city. We don't just say we believe this stuff. We believe it. And so I think we're going to do it. I think the media should be kind of interested in the church so that's talking about this subject openly Definitely. and is openly ministering. We've, we've contacted them. We haven't had any response yet. So if anybody is in the media or knows has some contacts, give us some contacts. We'd like to get print media. We'd like to get some, uh, something on the news or whatever because we want women to come. That's right. And uh, it's vitally, vitally important. We've been doing this work for 30 years here at City on a Hill. Um, we've had, uh, in fact, Vanessa Ellswick, who's on my staff, she came to us 30 years ago, uh, a victim of sexual she's abuse. On, she's on my staff, James. Oh, she's on, on my staff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, old habits die Not hard, hard you know? Right, that's right. It's all right. Okay. She's on his staff now. Uh, but uh, she came here 30 years ago, she and her husband, and she got into the healing process, and we've been doing this work for 30 years. Now we're going citywide with it, and we're going actually worldwide with it through the Fearless Series for Women. That's right. And so um, I'm promoting it with every uh, breath of my body. I have two national interviews this week, one Thursday morning and one Thursday evening, which will be about the 10th or 12th ones we've done. Uh, word is getting out. Churches are contacting me all over. The, the largest church in the state of Montana was in contact with me this week. They intend to do the Fearless Series for Women huh. in uh, Billings, Montana this fall. Uh, the second largest church in the entire state of Idaho uh, is a church I've worked with. I did a workshop there, and uh, they are going to start the Fearless Series. So it's just some good things are happening. It's slow. I want it done now, uh, but I realize that something like this takes time for it to percolate, and particularly on a subject like this, our, the church in general is typically not very interested in talking about sexual issues, but when you talk about something that is as personal as for, uh, for women as sexual abuse that many of them had in childhood, some in adolescence, in early adulthood, or any time in their lives, um, then it gets kind of difficult. And we're just, we've been paving this way for 30 years, and we're really opening it up to the, to the world now. And I pray that you will be a part of it. We'll bring somebody with you next Sunday. And I believe, I, I believe you're going to be blessed by hearing these yes. women's stories yes. and the work that they've done. And they've all been here for many, many years in our church. And you will know them. And uh, they are brave women and are willing to do this. And that's what it's going to take. Now, I've got an, uh, one additional challenge for you this morning to see if you can be any more lively than first service. Uh, yeah, really, that, that was a bunch of deadheads this Oof. morning, man. I'm telling you. I mean, I man. love them in Jesus' name, but a bunch of deadheads, okay? And, so not, and not grateful head fans. We're and not they, talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they didn't laugh at any of my jokes. None. Yeah. Y'all are already doing better. I love I'm, this. Let's get started. Let's I'm really this. insecure now. I don't know if I'm going to tell any jokes. I'm going to be very, very staid this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel chapter 6. As we are going to conclude this morning, the study that we've been doing this summer through the first six chapters of Daniel, that the series is titled Unshakable because that was what Daniel proved to be unshakable in his faith. Now, historically, you remember that Daniel and the Jews had been carried off into captivity out of Jerusalem into the ancient nation of Babylon. Because that was Nebuchadnezzar, who was a king of Babylon in 587 BC, came in and literally sacked Jerusalem 
and destroyed the temple and carried the people of God off into captivity in Babylon. And the story of Daniel and the guys that I like to call the three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is actually a story about keeping your faith in a hostile environment. Now, what could be more appropriate for us in America today? Because increasingly, the, the environment in America is becoming increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. And so there's a great deal that we've been learning about them. But in that environment, Daniel proved to be unshakable. He didn't falter. And we can learn from his experience. Now, this morning, this last message, we've titled, Stay With It. Stay with it. And we'll explain what that means as we get into the message this morning. By chapter 6, though, Daniel has been captive for decades. Most scholars agree that by the time we get to the sixth chapter of Daniel, Daniel is in his 70s, perhaps even his early 80s, which gives me hope. And he had been taken, because he had been taken captive as a young man. When Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem in 587 B.C., Daniel was just a teenager. By the time we get to the sixth chapter, this is about five or six decades later. And he had encountered through those decades so many challenges that could have caused him to deny the faith. His faith in Jehovah God, in Yahweh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many reasons he could have done it. One, he could have just avoided trouble. Because Daniel had a lot of trouble in this hostile environment because of his faith. But Daniel, over and over, he simply stayed with it. Now, the account that is given in Daniel chapter 6 is one of the most well-known stories, perhaps, in all of the Bible. But the New Testament tells us that all of these things happened in the Old Testament as examples to us. And so as we look at these stories, what God is saying is, I want you to learn from these things. There are principles that you now my people in Christ Jesus can and should learn. Now, the Daniel principle that we're going to get to here at the end, as we get into the message this morning, is very simple, okay? Here's the Daniel principle. I didn't say the Daniel diet. You've heard of that. This is the Daniel principle. What is it? It is consistency. The Daniel principle is about consistency. He displayed it in all of his life. Chapter 6 of Daniel tells us that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den for his faith. Now, the truth of the matter is, most of us have never been or ever will be thrown into a lion's den for our faith or for anything. But I do know this, that we have a lion that wants to come into our den and devour us. The scripture tells us about him. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded and be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Daniel was thrown into a lion's den because he was consistent, and we'll explain that. But the question for us really is, what do we do, what do we need to have in our lives when the lion walks into our den? When he marches in and wants to do what the scripture says he's out to do, and that is to kill, to steal, and to destroy everything that God wants to do in your life. And so, let's start off by just kind of recounting the story. Most of you are familiar with it. And then we're going to get into some very practical applications from Daniel's life that allowed him to be as consistent as he was. 
Verse 1 tells us of chapter 6 that King Darius was organizing his kingdom. Now Darius wasn't a Babylonian king, he was a Persian king. And the reason now that we switched in chapter 6 to a Persian king is because the Persians had come along between chapter 5 and chapter 6 and they had conquered the Babylonians. So just as Daniel had been a slave or servant to the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings, now Daniel, now that the Persians have come in and conquered the Babylonians, now he is serving the Persians and the Persian king. And it tells us that Darius is kind of organizing his, his kingdom. It says in chapter, one, or chapter 6 there that he appointed 120 satraps. That's an interesting term, but it basically means a local governor. He divided the Persian kingdom up into, and it was quite a large kingdom as a matter of fact by this time, he divided it up into about 120 regions and had appointed a satrap or a local governor over each one Maybe of those we, regions. We should call our ministry heads that from now on. Satraps. satraps. Yeah. <laughs> be, yeah. yeah. Would you like to be a satrap? You're no, a satrap. I don't know what it is, but I don't think I want to be I don't it. think I want that. So for decades, okay, the, now Daniel has been in, in, in Babylon. Now he is under the Persian king who is consolidating his power. He's appointing these local governors over, over small areas. Then he appointed three commissioners, the scripture tells us, who were each one over 40 of the satraps. And so you've got 120 satraps, you've got three commissioners, and so there are another level of responsibility and of oversight that are appointed in Persia. And what Darius is doing is what any ancient monarch did, is he's consolidating his power, He's making sure that his, he has ears and eyes in every part of the kingdom so that there can't be a, a rebellion that kind of starts off in one area. So he's got satraps and he's got commissioners, okay? And he's consolidating his power. Now, for, de for, for, for decades, Daniel has been proving his integrity when it was Babylon. Now he's proven his integrity now that it's Persia. He's proven his intelligence. He's proven his ability and his skill. So guess what? Darius appoints Daniel to be one of those three commissioners. Now that is an incredible thing because Daniel is not Persian. He wasn't Babylonian. Daniel is a Hebrew. And yes, he's been out of that land for 60 years or so, something like that. But he's a very faithful Jew, but he's proven himself decade after decade that now the Persian king says, look, I can trust this guy to be honest and have integrity. So he appoints him as one of those three commissioners. And eventually verse 3 tells us that Daniel distinguished himself so much in that role that the king was planning to put Darius, uh, 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 Daniel over all of it. Over all it. We don't need three commissioners. Daniel can handle it all. And he was planning to appoint Daniel over all of it. Now when the other two commissioners heard this, you can imagine they had a problem, right? And so immediately the Political games began because they're probably Persians in their descent. And here is this Hebrew. He's not even a Persian. And the king is going to put him over us. We cannot let that happen. So verse 4 tells us that when they found this out, the political games began. Now the number one principle of politics is destroy the challenger, right? And that's what they set out about doing. Nothing has really changed. These two guys got together and they agreed together to develop a dossier mm. on mm. Daniel to dig up dirt. Y'all 
First service didn't laugh about that either. I thought that was pretty darn funny. Yep. To dig up some dirt on Daniel that they can use to accuse him before the king. This is basically doing opposition research, okay? And politicians have always done it. But when they started looking in Daniel's closets for skeletons and for dirt, they couldn't find any. Because Daniel had lived a life of consistency and of integrity where he wasn't creating any any dirt. He didn't have any skeletons in his closet. He wasn't living any kind of double life. He had lived his life with consistency and integrity. In fact, the only thing that they could find to accuse him was his faithfulness to his God. Mm. So they said, well, we haven't got anything else, so we'll use that, and we'll use that to trap him. Now, that's a great compliment, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to be accused by someone, wouldn't you rather the only thing they could find was your faith rather than that skeleton that you've got hidden in the closet? Or rather than that lie that you told? Or rather than that money that you embezzled? Or rather than, you know, whatever it is. Wouldn't you rather they say, well, we don't have anything like that that we can get on this guy. But man, he is faithful to his God, so we'll use that against him. And that's what they did. Daniel had given a life of consistency. When he was brought into the kingdom, remember Babylon, he wouldn't eat the king's food because that would be a violation of the kosher laws that God had given to his people. He wouldn't bow down to any statues. The three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow down to, the, to, to, to anything. Daniel wouldn't bear down to the statue. I mean, over and over and over, he had just proven himself consistent. So consistent, verse 10 tells us they knew one thing that they could count on Daniel to do, and that was to pray. Mm. That Daniel was going to pray before his God, and he was going to do it three times a day because he had a track record. God had told his people at that time they were three appointed times of prayer. And so those appointed times of prayer, it doesn't matter where Daniel is, he's going to be on his knees before his God making prayer and devotion toward his God. They knew that was going to happen. So these guys went to the king, King Darius, and they said, King, here's a great way to finalize the consolidation of your power in the kingdom. You need to issue an edict that says, for 30 days, no one in the kingdom can pray to another god or even to anything but you, O king, for you are a great and mighty king. Now, to an ancient monarch, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Okay, we're going to limit it. You're, you're going to have to all look to me. So sure enough, he issues the edict. The next day, what's Daniel doing? Daniel's praying. So they go to the king, and they rat Daniel out. And immediately the scripture says that the king was distressed because he planned to make Daniel the ruler of everything just underneath him. And he didn't want to throw Daniel in the lion's den, which is what he'd said if he caught anybody making devotion to any other god for 30 days. So he did what people do. He called the lawyers to see, is there a loophole in the contract? No, he seriously did. He's wanting to find, is there a loophole? Is there some way I can get out of throwing Daniel into the lion's? Have you ever heard of the law of the Medes and the Persians? Well, this was a Persian king. And they had a practice that when the king has established a law, even the king cannot revoke the law. That's where the idea of the law of the Medes and the Persians came from. So he had made a decree. There was no way out of it. He had to chuck Daniel in the lion's den. The last words that the king said to Daniel as they threw him to the lion was, your God will deliver you. Now, I doubt that that was a statement of faith on Darius's part. It was more like a statement of desperation, saying, Daniel, I tried. My hands are tied. If you're going to survive this thing, it's going to have to be your God that delivers you. Mm. 
Now, here we are. There's basically the story. And we know that God does deliver him. None of us, as I said, are going to be thrown into any lion's dens. But we often have a lion that walks into our den. And the very same things that allowed Daniel to be consistent, the very qualities about him that allowed him to live this unshakable life where he never denied his God, where he never denied his faith, are the things that we need when the lion marches into our den. So let's talk about those four things for the remaining time that we have. What is that, about an hour and a half we have left? Yeah, about an hour and 45 minutes. Okay, go ahead. Guests are like, is he serious? Is he joking right now? (laughs) The first time guests say, oh, Lord, Martha, what what have we gotten ourselves into? What have we walked into? If you go back to the story, I want to point out a few key things that really reveal a lot about Daniel. And, and actually, they're, they're revealed all throughout his life, throughout all six, the first six chapters at least. And they center around one really big idea, and that is to face the lions in your den, you have to establish consistency. Daniel was an individual committed to consistency in a lot of ways. And, and this was both the source of some of his greatest successes and some of his biggest problems, right. that he was so consistent, he was unwavering, he was unshakable. And so when you look at the events in Daniel's life, they're about 60 years uh, time span. When Daniel begins in chapter 1, he's likely a teenager. And I was, I was actually thinking about this this week as I was preparing that our high schoolers were at camp this week at Refuge Ranch. And, and I got thinking as I was working through this that, you know, so many of the great figures in the Bible are no older than those youth at summer camp this week when they began. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, including Daniel. Daniel is about a teenager when chapter 1 begins, when he's pulled from Judah and brought into Babylon. And it's just, it was a good reminder to me that it's very easy to get wrapped up in the mindset that, oh, they're just in high school, or, you know, they're, mm-hmm. it's just a youth group. And, and the reality is, is that this is the age that God so often demonstrates some of his greatest works through individuals in the he scriptures. He can use someone who hasn't even had the full development no. of the prefrontal cortex. Absolutely. He can even, wow. So if he can use them, he can use you. <laughs> That's what we're saying. Um, now we get to chapter 6. Daniel at this point is, is around 70 to 80 years old. So there's, it's debatable whether the lion's even interested in Daniel at this point. <laughs> Not a lot of meat left on the bones, right? <laughs> a little bit dried out, a little yeah. bit like jerky. <laughs> Less like beef, more like beef jerky, exactly. But understand that over the 60 years that he lived, what that meant was 60 years to demonstrate consistency, mm-hmm. 60 years to demonstrate and speak truth, 60 years to worship Yahweh in a hostile culture. Now, consistency is something that is more and more rare these days, am I right? Not a big value anymore in our current day and age. It used to mean something. People used to really take Jesus' word seriously when he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But it's woefully lacking in our day and age. And and part of the reason why that is true is because consistency has always been hard. Mm. Consistency is hard, check this out, when things change. That's a truth that you need to understand. Consistency is hard when things change. It's easy to model faith when things are easy when things are going well, but when life gets complicated, when life happens, right, when things go sideways, 
Consistency is the very thing that keeps us on track. And, and, and it is in those moments that it becomes the hardest, actually, mm-hmm. to demonstrate. It's tempting to do what's easy, just take the easy way out. Not necessarily the right way, but the easy way. But if we live with consistency, then it prevents us from taking those easy ways out that compromise our faith so often. So you could say it this way. Consistency in the common brings success in the crisis. Consistency in the common brings success in the crisis. You will have a very difficult time demonstrating consistent faith when things get difficult if you haven't been demonstrating it prior to it. That's That's going to be a theme you're going to hear throughout the rest of this message this morning. Let's give you some examples of, of Daniel's consistency. First, he was consistent in character. He was consistent in character. I want you to think about all the changes that that took place in Daniel's life. In chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar is king. He's the one who brings Judah into captivity, the one who captures Daniel and the three amigos. He's the one that institutes what we called in that first week the Babylonian program, where they're they're taught new language and new literature and given new names and all the different changes that they had to undergo in order to essentially become Babylonian citizens. And that reign lasted for what scholars say about 45 years. And then a succession of kings began to take place, and and some of them didn't even reign a whole year. We went through that, I think, in week three, where we talked about all the different individuals who were king in Babylon. We get to chapter five, and we are told that another individual now is king, a man by the name of Belshazzar. And he is, of course, if you remember, weighed in the balance and found wanting. Things go very badly for him. He buys it at his banquet, is how we said it last week. (laughs) We get to chapter 6, and and as James mentioned, Darius is king. And and now this is not only a new king, but a new nation. The Medo-Persians are now in control. They've taken Babylon Babylon captive. So there's a lot of leadership change that has taken place in this 60-year time frame for Daniel while he is there. Now, if you think for a moment, as Americans, you lived in America, uh, each administration in the presidency has its, its very own distinct look and feel and philosophy about how to run a country, about what leadership looks like. It's true for most leadership changes that when you have a change in administration, you can expect some variance to occur uh, in, in some either small or large ways. For example, uh, this past year, uh, in, in, or this year actually, March or April, uh, James, after 37 years, stepped down from the senior pastorate. That's why Vanessa's on your and staff. And my staff, exactly. Not my staff, anymore. exactly. Um, and, and you can expect between him and I, although we're very similar, there are certain differences that we have in, in leadership and philosophy. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's exactly and right. Is... Well, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. I share the same vision and passion for the things that James has been uh, working towards for the last three, almost four decades. And so the differences in, in administration changes here are going to be almost non-visible to you. They're going to be very on the back end in staff. That's not always true in leadership changes. Sometimes you have massive turnover, massive differences in philosophy. That is likely what is happening with Darius. Darius is not only a different king, he's a different nation. They speak a different language. They have a totally different way of doing life. Very different. Daniel goes, I just conquered Babylonian. <laughs> yeah. Now I got to learn Persian. Persian, exactly. <laughs> I'm an old man. But throughout all this change, Daniel remained consistent. And so you, you understand that this is an important principle, just as a side note. That you are either impacting the culture that you exist in, or you are being impacted by the culture you exist in. Just in kind of an underlying principle of life. You are either impacting the culture or being enculturated by it. You are, you are either going to adopt their customs or you are going to reform their customs. Mm-hmm. 
Daniel is at risk of being enculturated. He is subject to a hostile culture uh, that does not like his faith, which is why this book is so relevant to us today. Our culture is growing more and more hostile towards the things that we believe, biblically speaking. Daniel chooses, through consistency, to impact the culture rather, be, rather than being impacted by it. And he does so in just the little decisions that he makes every day consistently. For example, he takes a job when he first comes to Babylon. He does his job very well, very, very well. In fact, throughout the different changes in leadership, he remains in his position and continues to get promoted. By Daniel chapter 6, it says that Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him, And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The idea here is that he had a great attitude about his work. He was someone that really came to do his work with excellence and a good attitude, a good approach. Uh, In fact, in verse 4, as people began to try to accuse him of of any kind of fault, they couldn't find anything. He was just a faithful, consistent guy. Now, don't miss this. This is so, I mean, just so practical, I feel like, for where we are today. This guy is literally in bondage in Babylon. He has been forced to learn an entire new culture. He's been ripped from his land. He's been ripped from his home. He has to learn a new language. He has to learn a new way of life. He's been given a new name. He's been attempted to be killed at least once, going on twice now in (laughs) chapter 6. Nothing about his context is motivating to do his job well and with excellence. Literally nothing about it. If, If you think about modern leadership principles, modern leadership techniques... This is the polar opposite of what you would do to inspire someone to excellence, right? John Maxwell, everyone familiar with with Maxwell, has the five levels of leadership. His bottom level of leadership is what's called positional leadership. And Maxwell says, this is the worst possible, this is the weakest form of leadership, the one that says, you have to listen to me because I'm positionally above you. It's the the way all ancient monarchs led. Absolutely. You do what I say or off with your head. (laughs) This is weak, weak Leadership. Sometimes it's necessary, unfortunately, but it's not good. For me personally, I, I tell I tell my staff all the time <laughs> that um, hey, you can have them. That's right. <laughs> I tell them all the time. Them. Look, if, if if I have to use positional leadership to motivate you to do something, something has gone wrong. Yeah. Something has gone very wrong. It's not inspiring at all. But this is what Daniel's living under, and and Daniel's being told, "You will do this, or you'll be put to death." And yet he still shows up with excellence. He still shows up. Why? Because he understands who he's in submission to. That's right. It ain't the king of Babylon. It's not the king of Persia. It's the king of heaven and earth. Amen. The New Testament talks about this as well. Paul talks about, about doing everything you do as unto the Lord. To the Lord, not to men. This is uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. It doesn't matter if you're in submission to a good person or a bad person Ultimately, you are in submission to the Lord Jesus. So when you work, when you serve, when you're mowing your lawn, when you're doing whatever, you do it for him. Mm. Now here is what that means for us. And this is where I want you to to really pay attention here for a moment. Consistent character then is not an action, it's a result. Consistent character is not an action, it's a result. In other words, you're not aiming for consistent character. You're not waking up in the morning and going, today I'm going to have consistent character. <laughs> Never have been in my life, but today, today I'm going to do it. That's <laughs> right. get it. No, you wake up and you say, today I am going to honor the Lord Jesus 
with my life and with every decision that I make. And then the result of that character. over time is character. Let me give you a truth. Your character will only be as consistent as that which you are living for. Your character will only be as consistent as that which you're living for. You live for the world, the world is always changing. The values in the world are always changing. Its definition of truth is always changing. If you live for the world, you will have one of the most inconsistent characters you can possibly have because you will always be in flux for what is right, what is good, and what is necessary. But if you live for Jesus, you will always have consistent values. You will always be committed to consistent truth because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And as a result of that, you will have consistent character as well. When the lions come into your den, you need to have consistent character, and you achieve that by obedience. And that brings us to our second point. See, obedience in its essence, obedience that God is blessed by is obedience that comes out of character, not obedience that's like checking the boxes. Okay, God right. told me to do this, and so I'm going to do this, and God told me not to do this, so I'm not going to do that. No, it's, 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 it's that which comes out of character as it did in Daniel. Daniel had developed a character of heart for his God, and so for him it was a no-brainer that he is going to live a life of obedience to the commandments of his God. And Daniel had established that pattern in his life all the way from the time that he was a young man, even before he was a captive in Babylon. You remember that God had allowed the Babylonians to come in and sack Jerusalem and the temple as an act of discipline over his people. That's very true. As a matter of fact, chapter 1 of Daniel, verse 2 the scripture says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, who was the king of the southern kingdom over Jerusalem and, 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 and Judea, that the, the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, it was God that allowed the Babylonian king to come in and sack Jerusalem because God's people had turned their back on him. Mm. They were in idolatry. They were worshiping idols. They were intermarrying with the pagan nations around them. And so God said, you better stop. You better stop or my hand is going to come upon you. And they didn't. So he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to do what he did. But even in that midst, even in the midst of those Hebrews who were not being faithful, you find that Daniel is faithful. Daniel has a character that is going to result in obedience even when the so-called believers around him are not living in obedience to their God. When Daniel was taken captive into the hostile environment, then in Babylon, what did he do? Well, he just continued to act out of that character that he had been developing all of his life, and that character resulted in obedience. Remember, he told Nebuchadnezzar, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, do what you've got to do. I'm not eating your food, you know, because that would be a violation of the kosher food laws that God had given to his Old Testament people. He said, I'll learn your language. I'll study your culture. I'll let you give me a new name, but I'm not going to eat your darn food. Because that would be a matter of faith. I cleaned that one up. You did. From a few weeks ago. That's good. You might want to get the tape and hear that, that one. That's good. So, you know, he's just, he's just acting in consistency. Now that the Persian king has taken over, what's Daniel doing? He's just acting out of his character. He refused to bow down in Jerusalem. He's not going to bow down to a, a pagan god in, um, in Babylon or Persia. He refused to disobey his god when all of the Jews were disobeying God. He refused to disobey God when he was in a hostile environment where it would have been easy for him to do it. Now, let me give you a principle, an established principle. The key to faith in the crisis is faith in the common. Mm. It's a little bit like what 
Derek said a moment ago, just a twist on it. If you want to have faith to be able to trust God when life happens, when everything hits the fan, then the key to that is to develop faith before the crisis, to develop faith trusting Him, obeying Him in the common. Let me put it this way. What you do when the lion walks into your den, that's a crisis, right? Okay, when the enemy comes against you. What you will do when the lion walks into your den is determined what you were doing before he got there. Now think about that, folks. If you are not living a life of consistent obedience, not living a life of consistent character, then when the, when the lion comes to you, you're probably going to bow. You're probably going to make it easy. But if you've been living out of character and living out of obedience, and when the moment that the lion walks into your den to kill, to steal, and destroy, you're going to do what Daniel did, is you're going to have a consistent walk in faith. Jesus taught us the very same thing, the very principle. Luke 16, verse 10, where Jesus said, if Someone is faithful in very little, they will also be faithful in much. Mm. If they're not, he says, faithful in a little, then they're not going to be faithful in much. I've heard people through this, say this through the years. Oh, when I get a raise, when I get more money, I'm going to be faithful in stewardship. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're developing that right now. If you're not faithful with what God's giving you right now, you're not going to be faithful if it triples. Because what you do when the... Challenge comes is going to be based upon that consistency of character and of obedience that you've built. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. He said, be like a wise builder who built his house upon a rock. Not like a foolish builder who built his house on sand. And then when the storm came, his house got washed away. But the guy who has built his house on a foundation of rock, it stayed. Now, now Jesus said, the wise builder is a person who hears my word and he does my word. He's talking about character and obedience. You're like the wise man, he says. And when that storm comes, what's going to happen to your house? Your house is going to stand. It's going to blow down. But the one who has not built his life upon character and upon obedience, then when the storm comes, what's going to happen? He's going right down the river. He's, he's Dunsky. He's totally Dunsky. Now, think about this, folks. You don't wait till the storm comes. To say, I guess we better move the house over on the rock. It's too late then. You done built your house on sand. And when the storm comes, baby, you're going down. You see, character says, day, from day one, I'm going to begin to build my life upon the rock. And that rock is faithfulness to my God. I'm going to obey Him. And when that freaking storm comes... My house is going to stand. See, you see, when the lion walks into your den, what determines what you do then is what you were doing before he got there. Hmm. If you were obeying before he got there, you're going to obey the Lord. If you were not consistent, you're not going to be when he comes. So Daniel is consistent in character. He's been working on it his whole life, faithfulness to God. He's therefore consistent in his obedience to God when it's easy and when it's not. And he's consistent in truth. We see it two times. And, and both of them were in difficult circumstances. Both of them, Daniel used those circumstances to speak truth. The first time in chapter 2 is when Nebuchadnezzar has the first dream. And if you remember, uh, none of his court magicians could figure it out. 
uh, he wasn't just asking for an interpretation of the dream. He was asking them to tell him what the dream was. Really kind of an unfair game. <laughs> Daniel says, hey, I got this. I can do it. Goes and calls a quick prayer meeting. God reveals him the dream. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, this is what you dreamed. And he does it accurately. Now, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar is listening. Yeah, he's got his ear, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel is, has got him hook, line, and sinker. There's, there's no way he could have known apart from God. Now, at this point, Daniel has some options. <laughs> he, he has some options here. For example, he could have misdirected the king. He could have told him anything he wanted. He could have made some, something up, I mean, just to kind of throw him off. He could have removed those who opposed him. There were already Chaldeans mm -hmm. who were becoming very frustrated with him, getting a little jealous of him. He could have said, King, you know, not only did God show me the dream, but he told me what it's about. What he said is, you're going to come tumbling down because there are going to be those in your kingdom who are going to turn their backs on you. And get those Chaldeans before it happens. And we, I can tell you who they are, exactly. <laughs> and then Daniel, Daniel, and, and by the way, I want the, the penthouse suite at the top with the big balcony. <laughs> and uh, he could have used this and weaponized it for his advantage. Number three, he could have secured his own release. He could have said, look, Neb, this is going to happen to you unless Let me God go. says, you give me some gold and let me and my three buddies go back to uh, Judah. Or for what he did, he could have told the truth. Mm. And he told the truth because he had always told the truth. It was a, a, a consistent pattern in his life well before this point. Now it happens again in chapter 4. Another dream sequence takes place. Daniel again interprets it correctly. This time he uses this opportunity to speak truth to the king and call him to repentance. Daniel 4.27, I won't read it just to save time, but he is calling Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on earth, to repentance, <laughs> to repent of his sin. Now, let's just be honest about this. This is hard to do, is it not? <laughs> the king. It's not fun to call anyone to repentance. I don't personally enjoy doing it. It's not, it's not fun. It's not something we look forward to. But it is necessary sometimes. If we are going to stand for the truth and hear me, we must be willing to stand for it when it is violated. Everyone loves the truth until they violate the truth. And somebody has to tell them about it. And someone has to tell them about it. But we must be willing to speak truth, especially in those moments. Now, there are two ways this plays itself out. And, and I want to make this distinction because this is an important one that I think is very confusing for people in church today. Because there's really two goals for speaking the truth. And those goals are dependent upon the audience that you are speaking to. The first goal is the goal of restoration. And this is for Christians, believers in Christ, the goal of restoration. If a believer falls into error, we go for the goal of restoration. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. The picture here is that Christians make up the body of Christ, Christ being the head. And so when someone within the body violates truth and requires truth to be spoken to them, we are to do it in love in hopes that we would restore them back to their right standing before the Lord. Paul, and they respond, well, who are you to talk Well, who are you to? Exactly, always. Uh, Galatians <laughs> 6.1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, there's that word, with a spirit of gentleness. Now, that's an important phrase as well. How are we to speak truth to other believers with a spirit of gentleness? So we're not chewing them up. We're calling them to come back, to be restored back to how God intends for them to walk. That is for believers. What if 
The person who is violating truth is not a believer, as is the case for Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Then we go to the second goal, which is the goal of repentance. Luke 24, 47 says, Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name or in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. This is exactly what we see the disciples doing in the book of Acts. Acts 3.19. Peter stands up before a crowd of thousands and he says, Therefore, repent and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Not restoration. It's funny that Christians today, when, when people, when, when non-Christian friends are, are engaged in some kind of sin, it, it's like we're calling them to restoration. There's nothing to restore them to. There's no former glory for them. We, we often, James mentioned in first service, we often moralize the situation. We get on it, we chide non-Christians for speaking a certain way or acting a certain way. What do you expect from them? They're not Christians. They're not Christians. Yeah, so often, I think the unbelieving world out there thinks that we're just a bunch of moralists yeah. because all we ever talk about unbelievers is, well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. You, shouldn't. You, you have no business telling an unbeliever they shouldn't do something. No. The only thing that we have to say to the world, to the world is repent, repent that you may be born again yeah. and your sins forgiven. Yes. At that point, then we can speak about morality. It makes no sense at all to speak to someone who is a, a dog about barking. Exactly. It's what dogs do. It's what dogs do. Man, you just okay. called all of their non-Christian friends well, dogs. Wow. That was probably an inappropriate illustration. You dogs. Hurry up. It's 1145. It's time for you to shut up. This is what Daniel was doing. Hey, I make the rules around here. It's oh, that's right. right. You're in... <laughs> he gets the hate mail, too. Man, I do. I pay for it. Let me, let me, let me just say this. We'll, we'll quickly say this. What, what you observe today in 2021 is that Christians are all about truth until it becomes confrontational. Mm -hmm. And then we don't really want to have much to do with it. Confrontational truth, not so much. But here's the truth. We are called to speak truth in the face of opposition a lot more than we are in the face of unity. You will very rarely hear God compel you to stand up and boldly proclaim truth to a bunch of people who agree with you. <laughs> it just doesn't happen that often. It doesn't happen that often. Usually when God prompts me to stand up and stand for truth, it's because someone has abandoned it. And so we do that by first discerning our audience and determining what is the goal. Is the goal restoration for a Christian or repentance for a non-Christian? You see, when the lion comes in your den, you need to have consistent character. And that is developed through consistent obedience. And if you're going to have consistent obedience, you better have consistency in the way that you view and stand up and speak for truth. And finally, you've got to have consistency and devotion. And I'm not going to develop this point because we're already one minute over. Um, but the last one is consistency and devotion. And we come back full circle here to where Daniel got accused to begin with in chapter 6. Yep. It was in his consistency of devotion. That's right that they knew he was going to be praying to his God regardless of what the king said. Daniel was going to pray to his God. They knew that. And they knew that was the way to trap him because they'd observed his character. They'd observed his obedience. They'd observed his willingness to speak truth in difficult situations. And they knew if the king makes this decree, that's not going to have one iota of effect on this man, Daniel. His devotion is so deep to his God, he is going to be on his face praying at least three times a day, and we can get him. That's right. And that's, that's so powerful to me. I mean, it's, you know, this whole thing of devotion to our God, and it looks different on, on different people. It looks different in 
different personalities, um, depending on your spiritual giftings and your temperament and all those kinds of things. But at one, at the end result, the real question is, how secure is your devotion before your God? Mm. Is it just ritual? Is it, is it just going through the motions? Is it, is it, or is it real? Does it flow from the heart? And, and I want to say to you that when that lion walks into your den, you're going to need consistency of character to have been established before he walks in. You need consistency in walking in obedience because he's going to want to tell you to disobey your God. You're going to need consistency in the truth. You're going to need to be willing and have demonstrated in your life, no, I'm going to stand upon the truth. I'm going to build my life upon the rock and nothing that the lion says is going to move me off of that. And you're going to need that consistency, ultimately a devotion to your God to do what the scripture says, resist the devil. You see, when that roaring lion walks into your den, you resist him. How do you resist him? How do you resist him? You resist him with character. You resist him with obedience. You resist him with your devotion to your God. And that's what, dem- what Daniel demonstrated all of his life. Daniel's such an incredible study, just everything about his life. And there's so much more. I wish that, that God had seen fit to record so much more of Daniel's story in his word. But these stories that he included there really give us a synopsis. They give us a picture of a man of character and of consistency, which is exactly what Jesus has called us to. Mm. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this story. This is not just a historical story from 2,500 years ago, but it is an inspired story by you, recorded for us today as we look how we live in our culture, to look at a man who didn't even have the benefit of knowing the fullness of your purpose and plan in Christ, yet he still obeyed you. He walked with you. He adored you. He devoted himself to you. If he did so, how much more should we, who have the benefit of looking at the cross and the empty tomb of our Savior, And the knowledge that he is sure and certain coming again to receive all of his people into himself to day by day walk, stay with it day by day in our culture today. We pray this in the strong and the powerful name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. Come next week and invite someone. Next week is going to be special. I guarantee it's going to be a blessing to hear yes. these women tell their stories. Yes. See y'all. Hear these women's?